0: And this is Zeba Hassan. And
2: we are in May.
0: Everybody How did that happened was January first, Like yesterday.
2: I mean, seriously, why don't you tell me give me the four on one on
0: what's what you've been up to. So I'm just kind of having that uh, Ramadan withdrawal and already feeling that spiritual high that, you know, I felt like we prepared for in March and April. And then um, it came. And I'm just feeling it come out of me. It's kind of like having the dementors take your happiness away I feel like, you know?
2: Well, see, that's the problem and this is this is my main issue.
0: You're like it, I get a bad
2: rap for this and you know, let me explain for the people that don't understand the whole Ramadan thing. One, like I think I do have the hangry thing, I get it. But also, I am a deeply spiritual person regardless of Ramadan. Like it, it for me it's all year round. So I just don't get the whole when Ramadan's over, Mm -hmm. I lose the spirituality. Like, like right before this, I went and prayed and I meditated and I feel really good. I'm coming up. Maybe that's why I'm hot flashing right now, or I'm just getting old. I don't know. But my whole point is like, you don't have to lose, (laughs) you know, but you don't have to lose that feeling and that connection. And if anything, you should carry that over, like take some of those things and move it over. So, so this whole concept of Ramadan's over, let me move on with my life. I just don't in general agree with that. So, maybe that's my big thing with it. But it's so funny. I was actually at a party. You know me, I never go to parties, but I happen to go to one. And this woman who happened to listen to the podcast, it is weird that people kind of know you now when they recognize you. It is a little weird. It's a a funny concept. And she was like, oh, I kind of know how you feel about Ramadan. And I was like, why would you know that? Then I was like, Oh, I do talk about this. And, and, but then she's like, but you know, you do like, I'm like, I carry that spirit. I'm still doing my sadhaka. I'm still doing my charity work. I'm still trying to do, you know, my mindful prayers. And I feel like you have to continue that over. It shouldn't just be a 30 day thing. And perhaps that's why I don't necessarily get into this. Oh my God, I'm going to do this 30 day cleanse because you should be technically doing it all year round. But that's just my little, you know, soapbox moment. I have a soapbox. I had a soapbox this mine. I'm just going to let it go.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that's not. I, I get it. You know, it just it feels different. You know, when you're doing it throughout the year versus when you're doing it in Ramadan. Like I, like I. call well, because because everybody is doing Muslim it together. against magic. Mm-hmm. Is that maybe why, that's what it is? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, because we're all doing it at the same time, right?
2: Everybody's miserable. Maybe that's why everybody's that miserable together. Everybody's miserable together, okay? No, I'm only partially kidding. Only partially, yeah.
0: Well, you ready for
2: today? I am so excited for today because, you know, we've been really trying to work on this series for a very, very long time, and, um, you know, I wasn't there last week because I had my third round of COVID, everybody. Um, I was telling Osmo, she was like, you can't join us. I'm like, if I join, I'm going to cough. And I will pee my pants and I, we just cannot afford to do that. Moms with four kids and more, you understand what I'm talking about. So we are actually continuing our May series on addiction by covering probably one of the most taboo topics in the Muslim circles, but literally something that gets posted about every, <laughs> at least once a week in all these Muslim um, chat rooms. Um, and Sex, you know, because sex is considered a dirty word. So if you consider sex a dirty word, can you imagine if you're addicted to watching it? It kind of creates this whole other level of like, woe is me clutching your pearls, but like that clutching your pearls moment or like, you know, wrapping your hijab a little bit tighter. But that doesn't mean it isn't a problem in the Muslim community because guess what? It actually is. So that is why we've brought in uh, our expert, because <laughs> we love that. We love we love the uh, um, the, F, the Family and Youth Institute. And we brought in Dr. Madiha at the scene and she's going to tell us about this epidemic because, yes, everybody it is an epidemic. She is a research fellow and a community educator, the research director at the Family and Youth Institute. We love, love, love them there. She holds a PhD in Applied Developmental Psychology from the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. She Her interests include individual and group identity development, parenting, um, acculturation. I can't even pronounce some of these things, ladies and gentlemen. Risk and protective factors of Muslim health, healthy development. She is also on the Executive board member for Stones to Bridges, a nonprofit orga- organization that provides anonymous online platform for Muslim youth to address their emotional and social behavioral needs. She has so graciously allowed her to call her Madiha. So we are going to call her Madiha today, but Dr. Tassin,
1: welcome. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum Thank you for having me. I, I really, really appreciate the opportunity to just talk with you guys. I've been following this podcast for a long time and I am so grateful that you all are shining a light on something that's so
0: important to talk about. Are we ready to talk about this? Yeah. And we always like to refer people to the FYI because of your amazing, amazing toolkits where, where we're going to, um, refer people to, and obviously have links to the show notes for it. Uh, later on, but we'd like to kick off the podcast by asking our guests a little bit about their momming story, whatever they're comfortable sharing about their kids and their mommying philosophy.
1: Yeah, sure. So I am a mom to three ke- children. Um, I have a, an 11-year-old boy. I have a eight-year-old girl and a six-year-old boy. My mommying philosophy really is just trying to take the best from what I was given by my parents um, and kind of adapting it to fit the needs and challenges that we have here. You know, I am a first generation immigrant. My parents came here when I was 4 years old and you know, I saw all the challenges they went through as immigrant South Asian parents, you know, the struggles of working hard, making ends meet, you know, all of that. So, I just want to do what they did best and take from that and, you know, try to help my children you know, follow the Dean, even when I'm not there, um, and really uplift themselves and be their best self in a setting and a context that really makes it hard to do that. So that's kind of my general, general philosophy.
0: I love that. That's so important. Like you want your kids to be exactly. Muslim when you're exactly. not there. Yeah. Like, I love it. Like it's teaching them like to make good decisions when you're not there. And so that kind of lends to, um, you know how you got involved with the FYI because I feel like that has to be you know informing yeah, ex- how you're raising. I, I, that's your
1: exactly kid. why. But, you know, I uh, my specialization when I was in PhD. So I'm a researcher, right? I don't do therapy, but my area of interest really was that. You know, we look at it's, it's adolescents. It's specifically like the youth age, um, and specifically like Muslim youth. Um, even when I was doing my education. And I just feel like we look at youth as like troublemakers and there's this perception of this is the rebellious age and this is the age that they're questioning and pushing boundaries. And yes, they are doing that, but they're doing it because they're trying to understand. And I was really very sick of like the, just do what you're told, just listen to me mentality. I don't think that's how youth, you know, if youth do that, then the second you turn your back, they're going to do what they want um, because they're trying to understand it and they're trying to analyze it. And so for me, it's, I really want to understand how youth are experiencing things, and so we can train parents to say, "Your youth is pushing boundaries, yes, but it's for this reason and here's how to navigate it instead of the typical parenting style, you know the traditional parenting style and immigrant families of just do as as I say and I that's love it. That.
2: I absolutely love that. Because the truth of the matter is, like you said, when you were talking about your parenting journey, it's one thing to when they're younger, for them to to follow you and do what they're doing. Because you know, this is something that they do cognitively, they kind of mimic you, they mimic their parents. But at some point, part of what their learning process is, as you know, their cognitive development, is they're going to question. They're going to push back. And you as a parent have to have enough confidence in what you've taught them that if they are questioning you, that, you know, they're going to go and seek those answers because at some point they have to choose Islam and that path for themselves. And and, and are you, you know, confident in your parenting and confident in what you've taught them that this is the case. So I absolutely love, mm-hmm. I absolutely love that. And we're going to have to bring you on for a separate parenting, just a parenting only podcast, because yeah. we're here we're to talk to. about sex yeah. and pornography. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and, um and I'll, I'll yeah. kick it off because, you know, the reality <laughs> is we're talking about teens and sex and pornography and, and the reality of the situation, like when we were kids, um, and I'm dating myself, like if we would see a target ad and some, was wearing underwear, it was like, Oh, my God, like that was a big thing. And we would have to hide that. But now they can find pornography on your phone. And it's literally in the pocket of most teenagers 13 and up, I I would say I don't have the statistics. And we can probably look that up and put it, you know, put it on our show notes. Mm -hmm. But pornography is on your phone. And you know, you have these parents that so naively think, but I put blocks, and I put channels, and I put this guess what suckers? I'm not trying to be mean, but those kids know how to get around them. They are smarter than you, and if you're under a false illusion that they're they're not doing that, guess what? They are. So, can you talk a little bit about the statistics? Like, and and you and I were chit chatting before on the recording about how there's a huge spike in epidemic, specifically in the COVID era, um, and why that's the case, and what kind of correlation you're seeing with that, because I would really want to talk about that.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, So in the research that we did, we actually received um, data from Young Muslims. If you haven't heard of Young Muslims, they're a national organization um, for, you know, high school age, college age students, they have a sister's division and a brother's division. So they, they were getting these issues a lot with their young, uh, you know, followers, they conducted the research. So we analyzed it. And what they found, what we found in their data is that about 60% of Muslims reported viewing pornography, right? So we're not talking about addiction, just viewing pornography, consuming it. And, um, they did this during the height of COVID, the height of the pandemic. And so consistent with what other researchers are finding in non-Muslim samples, that the numbers spiked because of the intense social isolation people were facing and the intense, you know, trying to cope with the negative emotions that might come up when you're isolated, that now you don't have your normal outlets. Right. And you're also, again, you're isolated. So you have a lot more access to the one thing that we know isolation really feeds off of, which is, pornography and viewing pornography. So that's really kind of just very generally and broadly is what we found when it comes to how much youth, Muslim youth are actually watching pornography. And, you know, like I was telling you before, I know this exists in our community. I was not expecting the number to be that high. To me, you know, 60% is a pretty high number. And granted, it was, you know, pandemic times, people are isolated, it's going to be a little bit heightened. But even then,
0: that's a pretty high number. I think that that's so so interesting because it makes me think of the parents who are like, Well, I don't want my kid to go to public school because then they're going to get these ideas and get access to porn and the opposite sex is right. like they're doing yes it in your what? house. I'd like you know, to <laughs> Zabas. Guess
1: yes. yes. what, suckers <laughs> doing the and actually, house with you downstairs. No <laughs> matter what you can do. Right in their bedroom. <laughs> yep. you're,
2: you're cooking, cooking their dinner and they're upstairs. <laughs> you know that shower that's taking too long?
0: There's a reason for it. Oh my gosh, I've heard about that. That hasn't happened, I'm sorry to scare people. (laughs) This is (laughs) why I have so many gray Um. hairs. (laughs) Yeah,
1: and and it's the same thing of like, you know, you think, oh, I just put my kid in the masjid, right? I'll just get my kid involved in the masjid. I'll make sure my kid prays a lot. And we actually found that that wasn't the case. So in the data, like we found that there was no difference between people who said they watch pornography and who don't watch in terms of religiousness. In terms of how much they how much they attended the masjid, how much they pray, and how much they believe that it's immoral. You know, you might think the stereotype is, well, people who watch it, they might be okay with it, right? They think it's fine. And that's why they do it. But the kids who said they watch it equally felt like it was immoral. If something else is going on, that's making them watch it.
2: Madiha, can you please say that for the
1: people in the back? Get over the misconception that if your kid is religious enough, they're not going to watch it, Right. Yes, there's none. And that doesn't mean that being religious cannot protect you, right? In theory, it can. And we can talk about that later. But it's it's how. That's the part that parents miss and, and in community members
0: in general. So that leads me to two questions. First of all, um, what porn does to the, the adolescent brain Um and then once you do that, then I'll remember the second one. Yeah, sure. So
1: I, I'm going to mention just very high level because I'm not a neurologist, right? So I can just mention very high level. We talk a lot about it um, in our porn toolkit. So if parents want you know, a lot more information, it's definitely there. We link some resources you can check out. But essentially what it does and the reason why it's something that is so easy to unfortunately blossom into an addiction is it activates the part of your brain that gets excited, so it activates the part, you know, you watch pornography, You the part of your brain that gets you excited and gets you going gets activated. And so then your brain says, well, hey, this felt good. I want more of this. And then you watch more and then you watch more. And so then that threshold for what's needed for you to feel excited now gets lower, it gets higher and higher. And so now you need even more to get that same high. Like you have this, it, it works the same way as, other addictions that we think about right so whether it's smoking whether it's substance abuse you know like alcohol any of those the problem is that those are very public right like they you do them in in front of people whereas this is very much in isolation so the secrecy makes it even much worse um so again so just very generally that's what it does to the brain and i really want people listening to understand that this is not just a behavioral issue right this is something that literally changes the makeup of your brain, just like any other addiction. And like that's what people don't understand is any addiction. It's not as simple as just stop. And and that's what I really want people to get
2: right. But to give hope to people because yes. that's can, what we're trying to do Can I just make a real here? quick
1: disclaimer? I definitely want to have hope and we'll we'll get into strategies and things like that, but the disclaimers for people to understand the difference between addiction and consumption, right? So the research we have is right now just about consumption. It's not about addiction. It's about consumption. We can learn from other research on other samples about addiction, which is when it becomes a huge problem in your life and takes over. And that's where you have the brain changes, right? So when you're talking about consumption, It's a little bit different. That's just viewing pornography, but it's at a point where it doesn't interfere with your daily life. Um, And obviously for Muslims, right, any form, any amount is bad. Um, But just people recognizing that whatever plan you might put into place with consumption is going to be different than
0: addiction. Um, There's always hope. You just have to have the right plan in place. And to that end, I'm remembering my second question now, which is what does define actual porn addiction?
1: Yeah. So uh, it's kind of the two things that I hinted at already, which is when the behavior becomes so problematic that it starts to interfere with your daily life. Um, you start having problems in other aspects of your life. Um, such as your relationships, your your own kind of self concepts like your self esteem. Um, it becomes a problematic when it's like interfering with your work schedule, right? You're having to take off of work. It's interfering with um, if you're a parent, right? Your ability to parent. So with any addiction to any other substance, it's the same things. When it starts to interfere with your daily life, it there, there isn't a hard cut number that I can say if you watch three times a week versus three times a day, that's addiction. There is no hard cutoff. It's more about your ability to control the urge when it arises, your ability to stop watching, and then how much is it interfering with your daily life. Um, That's what and, and there's another number of other kind of criteria that therapists will look at before they say this is addiction. But in general, that's kind of the pattern they're looking for.
2: So, you know, another thing that we like, I, I, I really, I, I really hear about, and I've been reading a lot about um, in preparation a little bit for this, um, for this particular conversation, is that a lot of, you know, spouses are definitely, using porn and masturbation instead of having um relations with their spouse and significant other and of course then this puts the spouse that um it gives them feelings of rejection and all that rightfully so so what kind of um advice would you give Uh, the spouse to kind of or what kind of warning signs can you look up that this is actually going into the category of uh, an issue or a problem for that particular family and I recognize that you don't do therapy you're more in the research but you could at least tell us that okay if it happens x amount of times or this is what the research is saying what are things that we can kind of tell our audience uh, yeah this is not normal. And this is when you guys should seek help or sh- should seek counseling.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I can go over some of the signs for sure that we know from research, right? That we know from what therapists are seeing. And you guys can also, the audience can check out um, the toolkit. It goes into these a lot more in detail. Um, but, you know, you're looking for changes in behavior. You're not looking for one sign by itself. So and that's why I was saying it's not like a... If you want, if you know that your husband or your wife, because we also found that women in our, in the sample that we collected also watch pornography, and I can give those numbers later, but you know, your, whatever your partner, whichever gender, um, it's not just like they watch three times a week and that's it. This is how I know something is going on. You're looking for that change from your kind of normal baseline relationship. So what what do I mean? Um, you know, you're going to look for changes in your sex life, right? So either your spouse is not interested or doesn't initiate as often as they used to. I'm going to use they because, like I said, women and men both engage in this. So I don't want to isolate either gender by saying he or she. I just want to leave that open <laughs> and clear for the listeners. Um, you have, you know, you might see a sudden shift in sexual preferences, whether it's like different positions, you know, things that make you feel uncomfortable that you didn't really have to do before. Like you're looking for those kinds of changes. Then when it comes to technology, right, things like pornographic pop-ups popping up on any shared devices you might have, right? You might see clearing of the history, the browsing history. Um, you might see a lot of use of technology that you didn't see before, like staying up late nights um, or watching in isolation and secrecy, right? Spending a lot of time um, really not wanting interaction with you and so wanting to be alone. So any one of those things by themselves, are they problematic, right? If your partner wants to spend time alone, are you going to be like, oh my God, this is productive? No, right? <laughs> like It's more of... A combination of this behavior that you're observing over time. So those are just some of the signs you want to look for. But again, it's the combination over time. I just want to make that part clear.
0: And that you found that for both adults and adolescents. So, so actually, the survey that we
1: had did not ask about signs. So the information I just sa- shared is from existing research on couples across the board. So this is not for adolescents. These are for couples. Um, the survey we had. Had questions about why do you watch, right? Your motivations for watching, but it didn't go into signs. So I, I just don't have that
0: information. So, based on you all survey, too, um, would, well, not even, and not based on your survey, but uh, based on current research, would the signs be the same for our teens, our children?
1: No, so they're gonna be a little different. So, the signs for, so what do you wanna look for as a mom, right? What are the signs that you might see in teens? You're gonna see, you know, obsession with sexual behavior. That might be a little bit premature for their age um, or an unusual curiosity with sex. And again, that's going to increase in adolescence anyways, right? So by itself, it's not problematic. Yeah, yeah. And and that's what I was going to say. I have this list and I'll I'll go through the list, but you're going to be like, but these are all normal teen things, right? It's all of them together when it becomes overwhelming. So just, I, I can keep going. So like losing interest in their normal hobbies, right? The normal activities that they've been doing, not caring about them anymore. Unusual sleeping habits. Um, you know, whether it's sleeping at different times than everybody else, you know, pretending like they're sleeping in the middle of the day, like that unusual changes that you want to look for, or again, and I'd say claiming they're sleeping in the middle of the night, right. Or in the middle of the day or wanting to be in their room excessively, um, trying to sort of uh, catching them in lies to hide certain behaviors, increased activity on the computer, secretiveness or defensiveness. like you walk by and they shut their computer down. Right. Again, all of those are very normal behaviors for teenagers, right? All of these by themselves are very normal behaviors that are typical in adolescence. It's more if you see all of these and if you see them for a while, that's what you're looking for. Is it some combination over time? And also, I want us to know that as moms, like you have to trust your gut, Sometimes we're in denial, but at the same time, if you really get over that initial stigma and denial of, oh my God, how could this be possible, if you just listen to your gut, you know your kid. you know when your kid is doing something that just something doesn't seem right. Um so if you notice some of these things, it's not, oh my God, what's going on? It's more I, I think I need to, I need something's going on here, I need to pay attention but but as a
2: mom, let's say you do your your mommy instincts are like blaring and the red you know that light that siren is going off so what are some of the things you know we've downloaded the the toolkit but how are how do we start implementing it like how do we start having that uncomfortable which it is an uncomfortable conversation
1: with let's start first with our teenager so if you're talking about the situation of like when you suspect something is very different than like preventive strategies. Right. So I'll go, I can go into preventive kind of strategies, not when you actually are suspecting anything, but just like what's your foundation that you want to lay for your family. Um, but so if you're suspecting something um, the very, very first thing that you need to do is to calm yourself <laughs> as a mom, as a parent in general, like our emotions will take over. Right. Very, very naturally. Mm-hmm. Um you want to run in there and be like, Oh my God, what's going on? How could you do this? You know better. You know, we, we, we didn't teach you this. We've talked to, you know, like that's what you want to do as a parent. And that's the worst thing that you could do. So the very, very first step is to calm yourself and collect yourself. If that takes a day. Okay. If It takes an hour. Okay. Right. Whatever it means for you, And and we know that comes from our sunnah, right? And what we've learned as Muslims is to first always pause and reflect, pause and reflect. So as a mom, that's the first thing you want to do, pause and reflect. Really for yourself, understand what's bothering you about this situation. Is it really that this person, that your child is doing this, or is it that you feel betrayed? Is it that you feel as a failure, you know, as a parent? Is it that you feel guilty? Like work through that first. Otherwise you're going to carry that into the conversation with your children and they're not going to hear, oh my God, this is harmful for me. They're going to hear my mom, this, my mom, this, my mom, that, right? So once you've done that, the second thing is before you jump into action mode, you need to go into conversation mode and understanding mode. So that means, again, you need to be ready to have that conversation, but ha- what is your purpose in that conversation? Is it to figure out what app they're using, how they got access? who got them into this, or is it what's really going on with my child that's making them watch pornography? What is motivating them so I can help them help themselves? That's the main thing. That's how you want to approach the conversation. So you have to do that with open-ended questions, with no judgment, even if their response drives you up the wall and you're like, how could you believe, (laughs) you know, like your kid's going to tell you "Well, everybody's doing it. What's the problem, Right. You cannot, don't fall for that bait, right? You have to approach it with open-ended questions of trying to get to that end goal of what's happening in my child to make him or her watch this. And how can I help him or her understand how to help themselves? Of course, that's not, that's different for a 10-year-old versus a 15-year-old. So as a parent, I'm hoping, you know, you would adjust that. So have that conversation. There's, Like I said, I could go into a whole talk just on how to have that conversation, but in the interest of making sure there's enough time, the toolkit definitely goes into tips on what, like, how to frame your questions, how to step back and reflect. So, you know, people can definitely go there. Um, But the really important part also is to have an action plan then after that. So you have to create an action plan. But one thing that we do, like I said, when I first started talking to you all in the beginning was that it's not about you taking over. You can create all the rules you want as a parent, but if your child does not understand the logic of those rules, right? And I'm going to say teenager, because this is really more for your older teens, right? It's not the same for like a 10-year-old. And yes, 10-year-olds do watch pornography, unfortunately. Um, It's not about you creating rules that you just want them to follow. It's about helping them understand, okay, this is my trigger. Here's something I can put in place to help me with that trigger, right? Right. So that's what you're looking for. That's the main goal in whatever plan you create. So after that conversation, if let's say you realize, oh, my kid watches because they don't know how to deal with boredom, right? They're just bored of their mind. They don't have much going on that gives them like a sense of self-worth or feeling good about themselves. So this is their release, right? Okay, now you come up with a plan with your child to tackle that that motivation for watching. Um, One of the things we found in the survey that we did, was there was four reasons that youth watch pornography, um, sort of sort of four causes so to speak. One was to cope with boredom, and again this was during COVID times, right? So that makes a lot of sense. Um, the other was to deal with negative emotions, to process their negative emotions. So if they're feeling frustrated, angry, this is what they turn to as their release. And remember we talked about the brain, so that makes a lot of sense, right? If you're feeling down, and doing this releases that exciting part of your brain, right? exactly increases that dopamine. And that's what you want. So then you do more and more and more. Um, Another reason was to deal with feelings of loneliness and to cope with that. Um, And the last one, I think I said boredom, make sure I got the last one, um, was to forget kind of the worries of daily life. So I think what you're hearing is youth are doing this to cope, essentially, whatever it is that they're trying to cope with. That's why they watch. So as a parent, that's what you have to help your child uncover is what are they trying to cope with when they view pornography and so get to the heart of the issue so when you create an action plan if that action plan is just oh give me your phone or no TV for a week you know it's not gonna work it's not getting to the heart of the issue um and really that's most addiction right we look at addiction and we think, oh, you're just doing this because you like the taste of alcohol, right? Or you like smoking. No, there's an underlying cause. Underlying issue, yeah. Yeah, and you have to get to the underlying issue. And then the final step is parental controls, right? Like, so the actual control of technology of your Wi-Fi and your router. We have a digital parenting toolkit that actually walks you through some of those steps as well. So you can definitely check that out for like, okay, what does this app look like? What is this? What? How do I do this on my router? It's all there. Um, this is a one-time where technology actually benefited us because now you can actually yeah. look <laughs> and find resources, and not not going to work in the dark.
0: This episode is sponsored by Guidance Residential. Guidance Residential has helped over thirty thousand families achieve home ownership without compromising their faith. Will you be next? Let them help you. Find Guidance Residential both on Facebook and Instagram at Guidance Residential and get your questions answered. Don't let halal home ownership just be a dream to you as a mom, as a researcher, what for you were the two most troubling things you found in your survey? Like I would have said that, oh my gosh, kids are dealing with their boredom with porn. That would have been for me. But what was it for you? So for me, part of it was what I mentioned
1: before, which is that these aren't kids who are less religious. These aren't kids who are, who don't pray. These aren't kids that are not going to the mosque. And these aren't kids that are not women. So for me, like, those misconceptions that got like checked off was really startling. Like I think inherently I believed it, but for me, that was really a big deal. And the reason is because and this next part is what to me was the most shocking and upsetting and worrisome is that um, there was questions about like shame, you know, how ashamed do you feel after you watch? How guilty do you feel? Do you have a need to punish yourself? And the youth all scored really high on all of those questions. And we did we dug into it a little bit more and said, you know, youth who watch pornography a lot versus less, are they different? Like what's going on that makes you watch it a lot more where maybe you're heading into the addiction zone, right? What kind of differentiates you? And they didn't differ in terms of the amount of shame they felt. And they didn't differ in, in terms of the guilt or the need to punish themselves. So whether you watch more or whether you watch less, Muslim youth feel bad. They feel bad. They feel ashamed. They're not thinking that this is an acceptable behavior, right? And they're doing it for, as a coping strategy. And then the the last kicker for me was that we asked them, can you turn to your parents for help? Can you turn to your Muslim community for help? And it was like 8% said that they could. 8%, that's it. So now you're dealing with all these negative emotions. You, You turn to porn to cope. And then you feel really guilty and ashamed and now you don't have anyone to turn to. So for me, like the combination of all of that was so shocking. Um, I just, I, I, I was so worried because like, where are they going then? Where are these youth going? Well, it's a slipper, it's a slippery slope, right? It's a slippery slope because a
2: lot of these kids that could be potentially prone to addictive behaviors can start turning to a, a, a external substances to help them to, to deal with these things. And that's how some of these cycles of behavior actually start and begin. And people are like, where did this begin? And how did this start? And it happened under my watch. And, you know, and we are kind of in this, we're like, it would never happen to me. Right. And that's all of us, all of us parents, especially Muslim parents, Mm -hmm. we very much feel it could never happen to us. And it does. You know it does. It is, and it is happening to us. And we don't have, um, we don't have the community, and we don't have the village to help us through and walk through this without shame. Yeah, because we're not willing to talk about these things. So I personally love that we at Mommy Well Muslim. Are talking about these very um, issues very frankly, and that you guys at the Family Youth Institute are providing the resources for people and coming on podcasts like us. And I really want to
0: commend you guys. Um, what are some preventive strategies we can deploy to make sure that our kids? I'm more worried about my kids. Yeah. You know, I I bet I would be really hurt because I know people whose spouses are you know addicted to porn. But my whole like mind, body, and soul is worried about my kids. Yeah. How do I prevent Those are my kids, you know, like that's what I want to want to keep safe right now What do I do to prevent them from ever getting into porn? Yeah, I think that's that's or when my back is turned yeah. to not get into yes. porn or to turn it off if they see it and say that is haram. I'm not That's doing not that wrong. That's not something I want to do. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I think the heart of it is, um, and I know this sounds really cliche, but it really is what the research shows And And I, again, I, you're absolutely right. I don't want parents to freak out. I don't want moms to be like, oh my God, this is, how are we going to do anything? The one most successful Preventive factor that research has shown is having a supportive parent. So, like, please have hope. This is (laughs) this is not an end all be all type of situation, but what does that look like? So, how do you be a supportive parent? Um, Again, this is where I was saying it's cliche, but the heart of it is having a good communication style with your children. That's that's a step one, and I'm saying that because that's a long term process, right? You don't just wake up and say, "Okay, you're 15 now. I'm going to be open minded and listen to you and reflect." You still can but that open-minded communication style starts when they're young. You need to have an open relationship with your children so that when they're teenagers and their brains are going through so much change, they can fall back on that when they need you and when they've made mistakes, right? Open does not mean accepting of everything, right? Just to be clear, that's not what I'm saying. It doesn't mean you're going to let your kid go do whatever they want, right? It means that you know, you've laid the foundation of having conversations that are tough to have. You've talked to them about puberty and bodily changes and what to do when you have desires. Like, that's not a conversation you can have when you're 15. You need to have been had that conversation. Um, So, you know, it means laying that foundation of Being open for questions without judging them, without shutting them down, without saying, oh my God, how's my kid thinking about this? What's wrong? You know, like they're watching your every word. They're watching, they're listening to your every word, but they're watching your body language. When you, you know, frown, they know you've, they've just asked the wrong question and they're not going to come back and ask you that again. So when I say starting with a solid, open communication, that's what I mean is let them know that they can come to you for anything. That's where you have to start with. The second thing is to build your own awareness, right? So you need to know what you don't know and then go figure it out before you can have any conversation. You need to know how they can access these things, right? You need to have knowledge of what's out there, what's going on. And like I said, yes, technology is bad, but the benefit is you can Google a lot of this stuff and learn about it. We've also compiled it for you. So you don't have to Google. <laughs> it's in our, it's in our digital parenting toolkit, which tells you here are how people access and both of those toolkits. Yep. They have in there, the different ways people get access and the different controls you can put into place so that you don't have to work in the dark because like zebo was saying, your kids are smart. They'll figure it out and they'll outsmart you when they want to. So you got to be one step ahead of them for every topic, but this one as well. Um, and then Again, we have these parental controls in play. You know, we have them um, at our fingertips. So let's use them, right? Set those boundaries for digital, you know, for, it's called a digital contract. You can look it up in our toolkit, but it just means have healthy boundaries for using technology. Do not tell your kids, uh, this is my personal approach, but do not tell kids that they can't use technology at all. That's just not realistic in this day and age. It doesn't work. It's not going to work. It's not (laughs) going to work. work. I tried. tried Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, my 11-year-old is fighting me for a phone to this day. <laughs> um, so, but it's it's creating those boundaries, right? Creating those boundaries for technology, general technology use, and enforcing them with you know healthy consequences that make sense for you and your child. But then it's also putting those controls in place so that you've got something blocking it even getting to your house in the first place. But then if it does get in, you've, inshallah, built that healthy communication style so that you can work with your child through it instead of you know, just telling them, here's what you're going to do.
2: Exactly. And, and the reality of the situation is as a parent, you don't have to know all the answers, mm-hmm. right? So you can say, I'm going to get back to you on this. Like, I don't have, you don't have to have all the answers. Let me get back to you. And I feel like kids actually respect that more than you acting like, you know, stuff, and then you don't. So like, if you're, they're trying to figure it out like because you're going through this, Especially with your older ones, I always say it's your old. You're growing with them, right? Mm-hmm. You're figuring things out with them, and sometimes you don't have the answers, and sometimes you're figuring it out, or sometimes you're. So, so don't necessarily be reactive, you know. Kind of like hold it in. You can go somewhere else, scream because trust me, they're gonna they're gonna push your buttons in ways mm-hmm. that you don't even want to yeah. know, and then you're gonna come back and 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 do this. And and the other thing too that I, I really am, am telling parents now is. Always be consistent. You you know it because it, they will see if you waver on any step of the way. So like if you say no to something, they'll try to push your boundaries, push your boundaries. But be consistent with it. So when you sign this digital contract with them, know that there are certain things that are non-negotiable. Because guess what, they want things mm-hmm. to be non-negotiable. Like that's this. Un- they they want that safety. Right. So you know, I, I'm i not going to say which one of my kids accidentally came across, um, came across a porn site, mm-hmm. okay? And this was, I walked, usually I'm with them when they're on their iPads. I happened to walk away. Um, when I came back downstairs, one of them had big eyes. Um, and you know, you can tell when their hearts are beating mm-hmm. fast and I was like, what is going afar. on? <laughs> you can hear it from afar. And this one of the kids was like, I accidentally, cause you told me not to click. Cause you know, when you are on a video, like, I'm like, you can watch this video, but you can't watch it. They are smart. They click on videos and you think it's like a video that's the same video. And it was something else. And he or she was like, then a naked, a naked girl. And I saw boobies and I was like, what did you do? And he and or she admitted that they liked looking at it for a few periods of times. It was very honest about that. But then they said they clicked out of it and they felt bad and they came and told me right away. And I said, "Well, this is exactly why you're not supposed to go on YouTube when mommy's not there." But had I reacted? Had I gotten upset? Had I go- the next time that happened? they wouldn't have told me right like so you kind of and was I a little bit like really how long did you look at the boobies but apparently looked at the boobies for a few extra seconds than they should have and but but he told they told me and it was just one of those things but you'd be surprised by even on a kid science video Mm -hmm. this came up if you type websites inaccurately it'll show up if you switch a letter. So I just forgot the pop-up blocker or whatever because it was a new iPad. So that's what ended up happening. And that's how sneaky these things are. So that's my point is you can do all the best things. Things still sleep through and you just have to really control your reaction to it. So I definitely, I really appreciate it. And to your point, when in doubt, calm up, like take a breath. Mm-hmm. If you have to walk away and then come down because they really... They really need you, they look to you for that reaction and that response. So I definitely appreciate it. But you know, like I wanted to piggyback, you know, for one of our final questions on osma like what do we do when we catch our husbands doing naughty <laughs> things like that? Yeah. Cause we can't Or suspect. Know, or suspect. Yeah. Because you know, as a parent, we can kind of quote unquote control, direct, you know, guide. do that, guide. But with a husband, with a counterpart or a wife, you can't do that. So what would you suggest in that circumstance?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think if you, if you you know, suspect that your spouse is watching, um, it's a little bit different than if you have like, you know, if you actually catch them watching. Um, The the initial step that I said for parents is, is really the same is you still have to pause and reflect. So Because what's going to happen if you catch your spouse watching, right? Or you suspect you're going to have all these insecurities pop up. Like, okay, am I not attractive to him anymore? Um, Is there something wrong with me? Did I do something, right? And I'm going to say this very loud and clear for everybody that's listening. Your spouse watching porn or viewing porn is not your fault. It is not your fault. You did not lead your spouse to watching porn. I just need everybody to hear me loud and clear, right? So... The first thing you need to do is you kind of have to process it for yourself and your own feelings so that you don't, it doesn't cloud your conversation with your spouse, you know, when you're ready to confront him. Um, so work through that a little bit, whether it's with a loved one, you know, a family member, if you're brave enough to admit that and talk about that, because we all know how that feels. Um, could be a therapist, right? If that's where you kind of need to go first before you talk to your spouse. Um that's the first really thing, thing that you have to do. Um, the second thing is you might, if it's a suspicion, you might try to look for more information first, right. So that you go into it with your, you know, like a full clear picture. Um, because, you know, imagine you approach your spouse and it turns out to be not what you're thinking. Cause that's that now that's a different situation. Right. So make sure you just kind of go into, it. and you can, you can do that, you know, look for some of the signs that we talked about before. Um, The third thing then is when you're ready, this is hard, but having an open and honest conversation with your spouse and really making sure that conversation is not about judgment as much as you want it to be about judgment because you're angry and you're hurt. And that's why I was saying you have to process your feelings first so that you go into that conversation with letting your spouse know how you feel. That's absolutely okay, right? I'm not saying you go in there and you're like totally fine because you're hiding everything the way that you would when you're talking to your child, right? Um, but it's letting that him know how you feel with the intention of helping him understand how this impacts you, right? Right. That's that's really the, what you're trying to do in that the, the initial thing that you're trying to do in that conversation is helping him see how it makes you feel, not to guilt trip him into changing because him changing for you like anything else is not going to work, right? We already know that. <laughs> he has, you know. So the, and then the second part, once you've kind of done that, and so this might be like a series of conversations, right? This is not one bit of lecture we're doing with him. We all know how. Men are when you're listening in Mm -hmm. lecture mode, right? It's just not happening. Um, So it might might be a series of conversations. Your next step after kind of helping him see how it makes you feel um, is helping kind of gauging where he's at, right? Is this an addiction? Is it just consumption? What are the triggers, right? Really having these open-ended questions for him to understand what's really going on and What is, you know, why is he watching? So then you can come up with an action plan. I will say this very loud and clear. If it's an addiction, therapy has to be involved. It has to happen. It has to happen, right? Even for consumption, I'd say go to a therapist. But I know I'm a psych major, so that's why I say that, (laughs) you know, if it's addiction, I agree with like you. therapist, 100 And I'm not a psych major. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so um, I think helping him understand his triggers is key. But again, the focus of all your conversations with your spouse is not for you to take over and create a plan for your husband. It is for him to understand his behavior because it is his responsibility to change. It is not your job to change him because it is not your fault that your spouse is turning to pornography. I just, I need everybody to be clear about that you're trying to help him understand why he's watching and then helping him come up with a plan even if he relapses and because we're t- if it's addiction that is not your fault. You can ask him what do you need from me when you relapse, right? How can I help you through this? How can we f- understand what's going on? Those kinds of questions are really helpful to have that open-ended conversation, but again, your goal is helping him understand his behaviors, his triggers, and then coming up with a plan together. So I'll, I'll stop there. I know that's a lot.
0: Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate it. For the people who are not understanding the, the magnitude Of uh, porn addiction in society. As um, you've said, uh, Madiha, there's really no difference between Muslim statistics Mm -hmm. and mainstream statistics. In fact, I think Muslim statistics, as they come up, are probably going to be significantly in error because they're going to be underreported, right? Um, Even if it's anonymously surveyed, I feel like people, Muslim people especially, like, uh, I think we tend to score our religiosity a little bit higher. I don't know. Religious people typically do, right? But 400 million people in America say that they're exposed to porn. And if five to 8% are porn addicted, where, again, as you mentioned, the criteria for porn addiction earlier, where it's interfering in your life, five to 8% of 400 million people, y'all do the math. Right. That's like millions, tens of millions of people. Mm -hmm who are addicted. They're watching porn 11 to 12 times a week, you know, and they're across all ages. I think it's something like almost 20% are women. Mm -hmm. All right. So we're in there too. So this is a significant problem because when we are, especially like in this last week, this last early May for us as Muslim American women, as American women, just the violence against our bodies. You know, that's why my focus is so much on the children, because if we can prevent those negative um, associations with female bodies that you see in porn, Mm -hmm. you know, the unrealistic expectations that are set up in our virginal children who think that, oh, that's what sex is going to be like. No, it's not. It really does not work that way. And a woman will not, that is not how you get her off. That's just not the way it works. Um, And the violence that's perpetrated, Mm -hmm. like to make that, to normalize that in some way, when you have 400 million people watching it, eventually that's going to, you know, get into your psyche. You're talking about dopamine receptors. I'm more worried about those patterns of behavior that are learned that, oh, this is how we treat women. You know, and this is what a a man is supposed to do to a woman that those ripple effects that happen in society um, that end up creating policies and laws that are harmful Mm -hmm. to our society. That to me is petrifying. And that's why I think we need to meet porn addiction head on as people of faith and say, you know, this is not for me. This also is a form of oppression. This is a disease that leads to oppression. And for that reason, we need to stop like Mm -hmm. lollygagging about it and actually do something and go to the FYI.org, read thoroughly their porn addiction toolkit, whether you suspect it or not in your household. I advise all of us to get into it. And I I know I've checked your digital um, resources page, but until very recently, my kids did not have access to phones because I just don't give it to them. But I have a teenager Going to high school. Um, He's in August. So he's got his phone now, and I am petrified. Yeah. So it, it's a cycle. And I know I'm really doom no. and gloom. I'm sorry.
1: But it's important. People don't, it's not just your kid. That's what we need to understand. Your kid is going to become someone's husband, your kid is going to become someone's wife, and then that person is going to become someone's parent, right? So it's a cycle. You're not just focusing on the person in front of you, it impacts everybody. If it's your spouse, you know, this impacts their parenting. If they're too stressed out because of what they're dealing with, they're easily irritated and agitated all the time. They're not going to be a good parent. And then that impacts those kids who then become parents themselves. You know, So it's a cycle. It's absolutely what you're saying. We have to get over this thought that this doesn't happen in my home. And if it does, it just impacts my kid. That's not. That's not what's going on.
0: And it's not okay for my boy to do it because he's a boy. Yes. This is not boys being boys, boys because, as we know, it also affects women. But even if your son is doing it, it's still haram, yeah. ladies and gents. Yes. So you have to do something about right. it because he's going to take that behavior, as you said, to somebody else's daughter. Mm-hmm. And that is not okay. Yeah. That's absolutely not okay. Yeah. So I appreciate there is hope, there is a toolkit. There is always um, the FYI.org. There's always Mommy While Muslim in our DMs where we know you guys are going to be sending questions because you have sent questions. That's why we brought this series to you. Super excited about it. But let's lighten the mood, Seva
2: Oh, my gosh. We're going to do rapid fire. <laughs> and I am so excited. Ozma, can you set up the timer? I already have my first two questions, and I'm so excited about them. Okay, so we always ask the, we, yeah, we always ask the fir- this first question because we're always looking for for book suggestions. What is um, something you've recently read or are currently reading that you would
1: recommend to our audience? Um, uh, it's it's not academic related. It's fantasy series. <laughs> <laughs> which one? Which one? <laughs> um, oh my gosh, now I'm not gonna remember the time. <sighs> I'll give you the one I just reread. I reread Lord, um, not Lord of the Rings, a uh, Wheel of Time. That helps. That's yes, Wheel of Time was a classic, and then they came out with this TV series, which was okay, and I wanted to reread it. So Okay, so I have to ask you this, and I'm sure
2: you know how this works. What is your porn name? So you have to take your middle name and the name of your first pet (laughs) and tell
1: us what your porn name would be. So I don't have a middle name. Um I could do my last name if you want. Um so it would be tahseen Kitty catty.
2: Oh, that is kitty catty. Okay. That is kitty catty. I like that. We're going to, we're going to call our Dr. Tassin kitty catty. Oh, yeah. okay. I just realized how so what that is, sounds. <laughs> that sound really bad, but I had to put you on the spot and, but okay. It's the last question because um, I am blushing as we're talking about this. What is one of the most used emo- emoji that you do during when you're texting?
1: Uh, I do the one, um, the one you're sticking your tongue out, the smiley face where you stick your tongue out. I use the, the oh, tongue like to this. the front yeah, or like the side. It was my, just did it. Yep. Yeah, oh, I
2: see. I hope. I hope. <laughs> the I hope wing out. <laughs> The winged tongue out. I hope the Riverside captures that, yeah. and that's going to be frozen <laughs> yeah. in, in time forever. Because I that was well, a good always, impression. Always,
0: too. always.
2: always.
1: <laughs> I
0: joke a lot. That's so the one I, I use a, use a lot, lot, and then the happy tears. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always no, do that's...
2: I always do the crying emoji because I've been crying Aww. every day for the <laughs> last like month. But Dr. Daseen Kitty Catty we really enjoyed <laughs> having you on the show today. I love that you're in the DMV area so that I can kind of like really um, use your resources, tap tap into your cause we're actually going to be having uh for people that don't know, we're gonna be having a Mommy Mom Well Muslim retreat in the October area in the DMV. So we will definitely Um, be inviting you um, and perhaps having you come and giving us a talk because we need we definitely need to be talking about these type of of topics because it's definitely needed so thank you so much for joining us today at Mami Muslim
1: Uh, thank you for having me and thank you for being amazing brave courageous women that wanted to talk about a topic that people are not talking about so may, may Allah reward you and make it heavy on your skills and I look forward to supporting you guys keeping up this excellent excellent work
0: Thanks again for joining Zeba and Uzma on Momming While well Muslim today. Please email
2: us your thoughts or questions and follow us on Facebook and Instagram because this podcast was
0: designed to cater your needs. Make sure you check out the show notes to find the links and resources for this episode. And remember to help a mama out and leave a review of the show as well as to like it on your podcast app of choice because that helps us grow. Tune in next week for another episode of Momming While well
2: Muslim. as alaikum everyone.